the explosive new film, Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost, exposes secrets behind the government's takedown of General Michael Flynn. Flynn knew what the intel world had been up to. He ordered the first audit of the use of contractors. This set off alarm bells. He told the truth. He was the most dangerous person for Donald Trump to hire. They had to get rid of Flynn. Flynn, Deliver the Truth, Whatever the Cost. Available now. Watch it today. Go to SalemNow.com. SalemNow.com. It's Lifeline with Craig Roberts. He's the host of Northern California's longest-running conservative talk show. He's a man with a message, a conservative with compassion. He's Lifeline's own Craig Roberts. And a pleasant good afternoon to you. Yes, indeed. Five minutes after the hour of 5 p.m. here on your basic Thursday, May 28th edition of Lifeline. How are you? Trust you're um, staying well and staying safe and um, continuing to... um, well, survive and, and hopefully one day, once again, uh, collectively all thrive. Though it may be, may be a bit of a hike down the road before we quite get to that place. But we're here to help uh, hopefully make the path to that a little bit easier for you. Got a pretty jam-packed program for you tonight. We're going we're gonna to pull back the curtain on a few inconsistencies within our country that need to be corrected pretty immediately and um, maybe even create some trouble along the way. It was interesting, Uh, although if you were one of those people that didn't get a chance to load up ahead of time and you one day realize, gosh, I'm out, let me just run down to the store and get some, and discover that here in America, the biggest economy in the world with millions of acres of forests, we found ourselves at the cusp of the global pandemic and the shelter-in-place orders, rationing toilet paper. You know what's interesting? Not even in World War II did America ration toilet paper. We rationed rubber, we rationed sugar, we rationed butter, bacon, gasoline, but we never rationed toilet paper. And you have to wonder, how is a nation like America... How do they find themselves, ourselves, in such an uncomfortable position? Well, uh, the rationing of toilet paper because of supply chain shortages, if that was all that we had to deal with, then I guess we could have a good laugh. But sadly, it just is indicative of a deeper, broader, larger problem. And it is revealed inside the pages of a new Congressional Research Service report that talks about the brokenness of America's supply chain and not just how inconvenient it can be, but how potentially dangerous it can be from a national security standpoint. Let's talk about it. Joining us, a dear friend, 30 years experience in managing Fortune 100 business transformation. She is the founder of reimagineamerica.org. Great to have on the program with us tonight. Joyce Cordy. Joyce, how are you? I am well, and you? I'm doing well. Uh, hunkered down here in the bunker. <laughs> you know, uh, ready, re- I, ready for anything the pandemic will throw my way. <laughs> well, and you know me, I'm, I'm, you know, I'm a really social human being, but, you know, I'm also, um, you know, the, the mother of a grown son with his own family. So for the last 13 weeks, I have been eating dinner on a TV tray. 
<laughs> Isn't it the truth? Yeah, we 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 yeah, suddenly I think uh, learn to reset. We we kind of reset some of our our priorities, and and even though and I'm like yourself, I like to be out and about. In fact, the um, the week the shelter in place orders came down, I had to cancel a dinner party here at the house for twelve people, and um, thought, well, um, if everything goes well, maybe we can pick things up at Mother's Day. Well, that hasn't happened yet, and at this juncture, I don't know when we're going to. And it's just indicative of the way in which life in America has changed, and um, and all of these changes, of course, are also foreseen to the surface. A lot of the issues that you and I have discussed historically in relationship to some of the shortcomings in America today, and particularly some of the failings of our of our political leadership, um, but but th- this has reached kind of the penultimate. And yeah. and I, as I said in my opening remarks, you know, uh, America's had plenty of time when we've gone through uh, times of crisis and times of war, and we've we've had to hunker down and and we've had to reorder our priorities. And uh, if it were the case, as I suggested, that it was just a matter of shortages of toilet paper um, at the grocery stores, we could probably laugh all of this off. But we've really come to understand in a very frightening fashion just how broken our supply chain really is. So let's start for the benefit of listeners that don't even quite understand what a supply chain is and more importantly, what uh, what a rolling supply chain is. Help, Help enlighten us. Okay, well, number one, you can go to reimagineamerica.org and read um, a blog I posted last week, which actually talks in in quite a bit of detail about the fact that what we learned in the first few weeks of this pandemic is that our supply chain is so broken that we can't sustain ourselves. You know, at the beginning of World War II, the President Roosevelt said, go make me 10,000 planes a week. And somehow our dormant industrial capability magically did that. As you said, we rationed some things. And, you know, I could talk about toilet paper, but we've only got 20 minutes here. So let's not waste them. What we did in the years between the Clinton administration and the Trump administration was to outsource so much of our basic manufacturing. Today, we've had to, in the midst of this pandemic, we've had to go to the mat with India to guarantee a supply of Tylenol, one of the few medications we have to attack this virus. Okay? We, we, can't, we can't make our own PPE. Not because we can't. But because our, between the H1N1 crisis of 2009, when we ramped up a bunch of manufacturing, and today, we offshored all of that to China. So what did China do in this pandemic? Okay, they knew they had a problem. They weren't telling the world. So they globbed up all the PPE, and all of a sudden, we're going... We don't have any PPE. We didn't plan for this. We did a tabletop exercise that said we needed to fill the storerooms, okay, but whoever conducted that was not Joseph of the Old Testament, so they didn't fill the storeroom, okay? A whole, the the basics of our medical system are now in the hands of other nations. 
because we've outsourced basic manufacturing. So just in two minutes, let's talk about the supply chain. The supply chain is when you want to reach, so yeah, I'll get the toilet paper piece in here. When you reach for a package of toilet paper on the shelf at your local Safeway or Lucky or whatever, you know, it causes a chain reaction of events where, you know, back to a distributor who orders from a manufacturer, that manufacturer needs uh, wood or other fibrous material in order to make the toilet paper. So they order it back and, and, and you can get my drift. You, you're going all the way back to, um, you know, the lumber people in the forest who are going to cut down the trees that are going to eventually end up in your toilet. Um, what happened in the case of toilet paper was one of the two one of the two parts of shortage. Okay, first part of shortage is demand, and and the second part of shortage is um, is fear. So, you know, toilet paper. God, I wouldn't want to run out of toilet paper, and they're going to shut me down for two weeks. So everybody went to Costco. I actually saw a line of people willing to stand in line for two hours for um, a package of Costco toilet paper. Uh, luckily. Luckily, um, I was more resourceful, and it's not been a big issue. But I have a couple of times been able to barter it for something else that somebody else had that I needed. Um, but so, so that's how a supply chain works. A supply chain works from the time that you as a consumer pull something off the shelf through a series of steps all the way back to the seed that gets put in the ground, because yes, the trees that go into making the paper didn't, or, or pulp, et cetera, are not native forests. They're, you know, regrowth forests. So somebody put the seed in the ground, somebody cut the tree. All right. So that's how a supply chain works. What we've done in a global world is we've said, oh, you know, we can save 15 cents here or 10 cents there because their labor is cheaper than our labor. And so we have outsourced, ladies and gentlemen, our capability to make the active ingredients in things like antibiotics. And the Chinese say, huh, we could cut you off anytime we want. And you know what? When you send a FDA inspector to look at those production plants, they come back and write really horrible reports about sanitation, etc. Now, it's a really scary proposal. It is the proposal. It's a situation we were in during the Iraq, Afghanistan invasion and the Iraq invasion when we couldn't um, upscale the Humvees to make them safer because we weren't producing the steel that we needed to do that. Okay, so it isn't necessary in 2020 for the United States to be wholly self-sufficient to make everything within the borders of the United States that we need. But we've got to think, and this is not a responsibility of the government, okay? This is where I disagree with some of those congressional reports. This is not a responsibility of the government. Made in America, 
Made in America is part of national security. We need to be, even as we are a part of a global trading system, we need to be able to sustain ourselves, at least in the short run. And that's going to mean a real change in the way we as consumers, as we work our way through this pandemic, I mean, think about vaccines, okay? Do you want that vaccine made in the United States? Do you want it made in China? China, The Chinese, now that they've created, they've unleashed this monster on the world. The Chinese now want to steal from Johnson & Johnson, as one example, by trying to hack into their systems, the, the, the research they're doing to come up with a vaccine. So do we want to be in self-sufficient? Do we want to be able to control um, our own supply chain? That means we as consumers, we're the beginning of that. We as consumers need to demand made in America. Now... Well, of course, you know, at the very core of this, the, 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 I think, frightening part, and you're touching on this, Joyce, is the fact that as much as we have bemoaned over the last decade, decade and a half of the outsourcing of American jobs, now we've understood, or at least beginning to understand, um, that we've also, along with it, outsourced national security. And when we come back, I want to spend some more time talking about that. I, I, I get your point in relationship to it's not altogether the government's job. There is private sector involved here. And I guess one of the biggest challenges before the private sector is to try and balance the, uh, what should we say, the, the national stockholder interests against the national security interests of all of us. With us today, the founder and president of Reimagine America, Joyce Cordy, is with us. Information available on the web, podcast, and other resources by going to reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. This time out, an update on traffic. Back with more of our conversation with Joyce Cordy as Lifeline continues. Right now, though, here's that traffic report. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. You know, what's fascinating about the discussion we're having with Joyce Cordy, the founder and president of reimagineamerica.org, is, is the unveiling that COVID-19 has created in the shortcomings of the American supply chain. And, you know, it, it's interesting because early on, as China began to see the crisis that was unfolding there, a nation that has nationalized control of production and distribution of everything that they that they make was easy to simply pivot and say, that's it, nothing leaves the country. Meanwhile, as we were just on the cusp of things beginning to open up here in terms of the, the rolling effect of the pandemic, the United States government endorsed the shipping of, now get this, and I know some are going to say, oh, fake news. This comes from the Voice of America. This is the official news service of the United States. This is the administration talking. 17 tons of PPE and medical supplies were shipped to communist China in February. As things were beginning to break here, we were continuing to take what little we had and turn around and ship it right back to communist China. 
demonstrative of the issue that Joyce is pointing out, and that is that we really need to begin to rethink the whole issue of supply chain is not simply a matter of a function of business, but I think ultimately a function of national security, Joyce. I think, and you know what, it's an enormous opportunity. I mean, you and I have, we've got about five minutes, so we, we don't have time to really go into the opportunity that is at hand. But you know what? Let's just have a little tiny example. That PPE was, uh, it's a two-part example. Number one, part of that PPE was uh, 3M masks. What 3M did, they understood in January, we were on the cusp of, a, of an issue, so they took their dormant um, assembly lines and and. They bought more extrudable plastic, and they they started running seven by twenty four to make N ninety five masks, extra N ninety five masks, right? And then we turned around the government and shipped those to China. Now those masks sell between forty five cents and seventy nine cents a piece. The Chinese are charging some of the of, of the states seven ninety five a mask. For those same masks. Wow. Wow. Uh, you know, this is this is beyond incompetence. It's beyond incompetence. It's, it's outrage. And it's an example of why this is something to fix this problem. We need a national effort, but not a government-led effort. There is a little company in Texas, which in the N- H1N1 crisis, you know, ramped up. The guy invested millions of dollars and and built out uh, two new assembly lines, et cetera, to make masks, to do to to sew gowns, to do the the PPE domestically. And in 2011, after the pandemic, he had to shut those lines down because the Chinese were dumping so much product in the United States. And so today he now got, after, after it, the story of, of what he uh, had to go through in order to get a, any kind of contract to provide PPE through FEMA in this current crisis, was part of the congressional hearing with the BARDA guy a couple of weeks ago. It, it, it's, I'm going to try to get him on, a, on my Ricochet podcast uh, because the story needs to be told in a broader way. But... He can make a mask in the United States for 79 cents. And the only contract he could get with the government was for 9 million masks. Um, and, and that is, you know, it, it, the, the, he's losing money selling masks to the government for 79 cents. This is the kind of business, along with 3M and Honeywell, who have the capacity, and, and that's what we need. In, in a supply chain, you need capacity, and you contract it, and you expand it based on demand, and that could take us to the toilet paper discussion, but we don't have time. So what we need to do, and, and this is a part, hospitals have a role to play in this. You know, they got themselves into this mess, by rejecting the domestic suppliers after the H1N1 um, pandemic was over in 2011, they went back to using offshore suppliers. So they own a piece of this. And, you know, PPE 
is not a cost driver. It's not a cost driver. I will also tell you that the American worker is 247 times more productive per man hour than the Chinese. So we could be, we could get to 44% GDP growth if we were more holistic in how we looked at the fact that we are not just stockholders in this American experience experiment, all of us, Tim Cook, you, me, you know, the, the nice lady at the drive-through uh, window and at your local McDonald's, we're all part of the same of the same little experiment called America. Well, the problem with that, though, Joyce, is the fact that there's a sense of isolation, that as much as I acknowledge what you say is absolutely true, the problem is I don't know that we can get every American to either agree or, if they agree, to really pay attention to it. I mean, let's roll back to the issue of the supply chain for a moment. When we started using the so-called rolling supply chain, where companies said, look, it doesn't make sense for us to manufacture or to, to, to purchase all of these components that go into the manufacturing of our widgets and then have to shelve them for months on end at a cost of tens of hundreds of millions of dollars for us to use all this stuff and, and all that supply to sit there, and it may take us six months to go through it all. Meanwhile, it, it's costing us huge amount of, of, of dollars to, to floor all of it. Instead, we'll do a rolling supply chain. We'll keep three or four days' worth of parts on hand. And as we need more parts, we'll order more parts. It'll be more efficient. We save space. We save money. Well, you know, that certainly makes sense at the end of the day. The problem is, as we discovered, when you take that kind of approach to the supply chain or you offshore manufacturing altogether, where, as we learned, uh, septafenamin, 84% coming from China. All of a sudden now we realize that you know, we, we spend a lot of time talking about trade management. We do no risk management and learning how we go about balancing. And this is the ultimate question for you. How do we then balance national stockholder interests over national security interests when one seems to be at odds with the other? Well, here's the, here's the sad news. You know, I mean, I spent 30 years fixing broken companies. Here's the sad news. If you're holding four days' worth of supply because you're doing just-in-time manufacturing or just-in-time anything, somebody else is holding the inventory because it takes more than four days to make it and ship it. So of course. So it's all a question of who's holding. So the, the number one thing that we need to do is to explain to the American people what the supply chain is, how it works, and how it impacts them. In, in outside of draconian situations like the one we're in. The other thing that we need to do is explain to them what the benefits of, what, of, of a global trading system, which is not sole source. Now, China cannot be. You know that we are the number two uh, global output manufacturer in the world, even though we are so dependent on the Chinese. They're only, they only produce 2% two, two more than we do in terms of global output. But what we need to do is we need to rethink this entire industrial structure so that we have the ability just in time, as Ford Motor Company and General Motors have just shown us, we still have that industrial elasticity, okay? They, it, in, in 
10 days, in 10 days, General Motors put together a manufacturing floor and started mass-producing ventilators in combination with a small company that has the technology. In 10 days, Ford started making face shields without the government even asking them to, you know, without any government support at all. They saw a need. They had excess capacity. They filled it. We have that elasticity in our in our industrial system. But we need to rethink what portion we're going to make in order to sustain national security versus having the elasticity that a global supply chain gives us. And you know what that means? It means figuring out who our friends are and who our frenemies are and who our enemies are. It means distributing that manufacturing capability. Nobody is suggesting that we bring little girls' sequented T-shirts back onto U.S. soil to manufacture. That, that's a market that's, that's always going to be an imported product. But maybe we should be less dependent on Italy for the non-cotton swabs that we need in order to do testing for COVID-19. Yeah, undoubtedly rethinking the entire supply chain relationship. And as you indicate, it's not as if we we are going to expect to bring everything 100% back to American shores. I mean, that that doesn't make sense from a raw material standpoint. It doesn't make sense from a manufacturing standpoint. But to get a better handle on which key factors are absolutely critical to our national security interests, and I would put the health of Americans certainly at the top of that list, and then decide how we're going to divvy this up and create a better sense of balance so that if one of our friends moves into the enemy column all of a sudden, we're not immediately crippled. And, you know, as you and I have talked about on the program in times past, Joyce, the, the, the question of whether or not America could ever once again engage in a World War II-style conflict two different theaters simultaneously and come out victorious, um, you know, is a question that I think begs uh, important consideration because it could potentially happen again. The difference is so much has changed in both the, the psychological, the psyche of America, as well as in the functionality of our manufacturing. And if we don't rethink this issue, we could find ourselves the next time around on the losing side. Joyce Cordy takes a deep look at this question and others in relationship to reimagining America as she ought to be. You can catch her podcast and uh, learn about other resources as well as blog posting at the website reimagineamerica.org. That's reimagineamerica.org. Joyce, we need it an hour. Next time, I'm going to tell my producer, make sure that happens. We appreciate the time you gave us today. Thanks so much for the insights. All right, 535. Let's get caught up here on some traffic for you. We'll head over to the KFAX Traffic Center for the latest. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. It was an interesting read, though, feeling, I think, slightly out of place, a a recent item in The Economist, a highly respected finance and money news site. They carried a um, lengthy story on a topic recently, and you've seen this perhaps, you've heard about the fact that over the course of the last two and a half, three months, while we've been all in uh, sheltering in place, 
that um, companies like Amazon and Netflix, though, they have benefited quite nicely because of the pandemic. But they're not the only ones. So, too, as explains The Economist, has the porn industry. Now, when you think of it, they're already online. The users already typically self-isolate. And so now we've discovered, as this article points out, that porn over the last few months is not just big business, it's also booming business. In fact, The Economist estimates that one site, who shall remain nameless, saw an uptick month over month of an increase of 22% of new subscribers since March. That's an aggregate total over two months of 44%. What business wouldn't want to see a 44% increase in their profit margin? Anyone would. Sadly, though, in the case of the porn industry, um, this is not just a innocent business making money, providing income for owners and employees. Uh, there is a more insidious, darker side to all of this, there are winners, to be sure, and sadly, there are also a lot of losers. Many American families, many American marriages are on the losing end of this multi-billion dollar industry equation. Joining us to talk more about this is Clay Allen, founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. And um, Clay, always good to have you on the program. You know, reading those numbers in The Economist and to see what a significant spike the porn industry has experienced over just the last two or three months um, really makes you wonder, while they're making hay while the sunshine, as the old saying goes, just how many lives are being laid to ruin in the wake of all this. Yes, Craig, it's a joy to be with you again. It is really difficult to understand the numbers, and every every number has a soul, a heart, a mind, a uh, relationships, you know, many, many relationships con uh, connected with that person. But we're talking about essentially uh, what Jesus told us would happen in John 10, 10, where, where he said the thief comes only to steal, kill, and destroy. And the number one way the devil's doing this right now is sexual and relationship brokenness. It's absolutely rampant in our culture right now. The numbers are just spectacularly high, and it's terribly sad because of what porn does to the heart and mind and relationships of uh, men, their wives, their families, the church, everyone. There's a lot of misinformation, too, both in terms of the impact as well as sort of the marketing side. This idea that, well, it, 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 it's innocent, there's no victims involved, it, it's a way for one to, uh, you know, sort of innocently re enrich one's life, things of this sort. I mean, th this this is the, the lie, the images that are typically presented out there by the industry. But I have to wonder, as much as it promises so many wonderful things to those that partake of it, is it able to keep those promises? Yeah, well, porn lies. You're absolutely right. It's a great question. Right now, when you look at the stats, it's almost overwhelming. We have 77% of Christian men, not just men, but Christian men, using pornography on a regular basis. That That's nearly 8 out of 10 men of any church in North America. And I will say to all of them, they're all getting ripped off by the devil. Uh, nobody is doing this and not getting ripped off, because what porn promises is immediate satisfaction endless excitement and easy intimacy, but in the end, what ends up happening is porn robs the consumer of all three of these, because the porn user ends up isolating, 
and disconnecting from their real relationships or, uh, as the case may be, completely missing out on, on those real relationships, uh, uh, com- completely sidestepping and, you know, where a good relationship could have happened, they're completely oblivious to it. And what this does is it leaves a gaping hole in their soul that's larger than before they started using pornography. And as a result, that porn user's emptiness continues to grow and grow and grow and grow and end up leaving the person wondering, where in the world is this abundant life Jesus promised us? And, uh, and that's the sad reality of, of how men in particular get ripped off by using pornography. And there's a significant relational disconnect here, too, isn't there? And I say disconnect in the sense, Clay, that oftentimes uh, people who get caught up in this will, will sort of dismiss it and say, well, look, you know, um, my, my, my spouse and I, we, we, uh, we're not intimate anymore, uh, whatever the excuse might be. And, uh, you know, it could be worse. I could go out and have an affair, but I won't do that. Um, I just I just use a little bit of pornography here and there, and so there's a sense that it's kind of dismissed as being something that is um, innocent, it's inconsequential to a relationship. But is that necessarily the truth? Yeah, absolutely not. In fact, you know, it's really interesting. I've heard if I've heard that once, what you just said, I've heard it a million times. Uh, I'll, I'll just look at porn, but I won't have an affair. Well, according to Jesus, that is having an affair. You look it up in Matthew chapter 5, verse 28, he says very clearly that when you have lust in your heart, you can even be a blind person and have lust in your heart. You've already committed adultery, and of course the penalty in biblical times was uh, separation from God, or what the Bible calls death. And, 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 you know, it's really incredible right now because the number one reason for divorce anywhere has been cited as pornography and infidelity. And the reality of this is the more pornography an individual consumes, the more that individual withdraws emotionally from real people and relies on that pornography in an attempt to experience intimacy and fulfillment, the things that God put in our soul that we have a real need for. And eventually, and sadly, for the porn user, what happens is it becomes more and more difficult to be aroused by a real person. You heard me right. I mean, they, they, they just can't get aroused by a real person, and it becomes more difficult to form a real relationship with people. And the resulting isolation and the resulting loneliness fuels the need for more and more porn with a false hope that it will lead uh, lead to fulfillment and satisfaction for that craving of real intimacy. And, of course, it becomes quite elusive. And and they never... It's almost... But that's the craving. It's almost as you're suggesting, like the drug addict who, uh, once starting a habit, um, feeling it's going to be innocent, they can stop any time, and yet as time goes on, it gets embedded deeper and deeper, rooted into their life, and it takes more and more of it to obtain the same level of escapism or satisfaction. And the very irony, as you suggest, is that for people who are feeling shortchanged in intimacy in their life, and so they use pornography as a substitute, and over the process of, of time, as the addiction grows deeper and stronger, makes the capacity to enjoy and benefit from real, true intimacy more and more elusive. And so the very thing that they're trying to um, sort of recapture is the very thing that they are losing in the very process. It's, it's, it, it, it really is troubling just how insidious 
all of this can be. Clay Allen is with us today. He is the founder and president of Avenue, a sexual restoration ministry. We've been talking over the the many weeks here of the course of the um, COVID-19 shelter-in-place orders, um, how there's been this significant impact of the uptick of porn use and, and really wanting to serve as kind of a, a warning here, a public service, if you will, for people to recognize that this is not just innocent, it's not escapism, that it in fact has real victims. We'll take a brief time out. More information available, by the way, on the web at avenue.works. That's avenue.works. We think of .org, .com, .net. This is .works, avenue.works. Or you can also call anonymously, toll-free, 877 877- 326-7000. Brief time out an update on traffic back with more as Lifeline continues. Get a look at traffic right now. And now back to Lifeline with Craig Roberts. Avenue.works, that's the website for more information. Avenue.works, or again you can call um, quite privately at 877-326-7000. That's 877-326-7000. Um, there is an attempt, of course, Clay Allen, by the industry itself and by those who are caught up in it um, to minimize the impact of all of this, to discount it as being inconsequential or uh, e- even remarkably enough innocent, although if we look at the number of victims that are in porn, it runs from um, you know one, one side of the camera lens to the other and everything in between. What would you say to a person who is trying to minimize all of this and maybe not directly aware of the impact, but their spouse can see it. At the very least, their spouse knows something is wrong. Maybe they don't know all the details, but they're convinced something is wrong. How does a person come to grips with the reality of what they're caught up in? And then most importantly, how do they find help? Yeah. Well, whether a person is using porn or they've been hurt by another person's use of porn, I guess the first thing I want them to hear is that there is absolutely good news right ahead and that they were meant to live the abundant life that Jesus promised each and every one of us, that Jesus' restoration is awaiting right now for that person. You know, when when a person is involved in this, uh, whether they're the person using porn or impacted by it as a woman, real intimacy is relationship-centered, not self-centered. And this is the problem with porn is it's 100% self-centered. Real intimacy is understanding a person at an honest level, and and the problem with porn is it never attempts to be honest. It's a false intimacy. It's a fantasy world. There's nothing intimate or relational about porn. Real intimacy is the honest and joy-filled experience that God intended absolutely every single one of us to live. I'd say to the person who's struggling to trade in their counterfeit intimacy uh, for the real passionate pursuits and adventures in life that God promised each and every one of us, and the way you do that is you, you, you do an exchange. You give God your brokenness through Jesus and receive in return the abundant life that Jesus promised each and every one of us. And that's exactly what we do uh, to help men and women in a confidential way. And, and, and this, is, this is something that's so tender. It's, it's at the center of everybody's core is that we have a need for intimacy. Uh, we don't have a need for sex necessarily or drugs or 
alcohol or anything else that, uh, you know, a lot of times are craving. But we do have a, a need for intimacy. It's, it's one of the legitimate needs we have, and this will lead to it. When you trade in pornography, when you trade in a, a, a false uh, intimacy like that for the real thing, God will deliver. And if you're impacted as a woman, there are ways to get help because uh, one of the one of the things my wife wrote was, uh, in fact, it's really awesome for women because a lot of women have questions, right? They, you, you hit on it perfectly, Craig, where you said they, they, they kind of suspect something's wrong. My wife wrote something called um, uh, 20 Questions. It's a free handout uh, which has answers that will help women know what, what is normal and what is not normal and how do you get help for yourself if this is what you suspect is taking place in your life or your marriage or your your relationship and and for the where can people where can people access that resource that's a free resource it's on our website uh under the women uh, women's button and there's another free resource there for anybody who's using porn who's just tired of it and they want to know what's the easiest fastest way to get out of this and i wrote a little uh three steps to a new direction Uh, it's a free handout also on our website this is for those who deserve the life that God uh, promised us, this abundant life I keep referring to, and, uh, and, and to just make a decision to stop getting ripped off by the devil. And, and both of these are free. They're available on our website. Um, we provide not only that, we provide guidebooks that, are, uh, that provide step-by-step uh, processes for a person to experience restoration in their own lives. We have one for men. We have one for women. We also provide very, very confidential uh, healing groups. You know, it's interesting, Craig. Uh, therapists are now re- recognizing that healing is accelerated in a group setting. Uh, it, while one-on-one counseling is important in certain uh, cases, um, uh, the actual accelerant is when you're in a group setting. It's an amazing thing. So when you combine that with confidentiality, you really amp it up, and healing happens very, very quickly. We also provide a two-day healing intensives for both men and women if they're interested in jump-starting their uh, restoration of uh, their, their lives and their marriages and uh, to, to get out of this from a jump-start perspective. Uh, before I let you go, Clay, let me ask you one final and, and very critically important question. Uh, there may be some folks that are familiar with the uh, the, the so-called 12-step programs, uh, typically associated with things like uh, Alcoholics Anonymous, people overcoming substance abuse uh, of one sort or another. And, and certainly, you know, first and foremost, acknowledging that you have a problem is one of the big, you know, um, sort of milestones along with sometimes getting over or or addressing some of the sense of of embarrassment uh and yet it's so widespread in America today uh, alcohol and drug abuse that it that it's almost fashionable sadly at some levels but i would imagine when it comes to something like porn addiction that one of the other big stumbling blocks one of the other big barriers in the way beyond admitting that there's a problem, is the overwhelming sense of guilt and shame that how do they dare come forward? Who can they talk to about something like this because they feel so bad about it that now that they're finally coming to the realization there's an issue here, how do you move past the notion of I feel so chagrined, so embarrassed by this, I don't know how to take the next step? Yeah, awesome question, Craig. And the answer to that is de- the devil's uh, number two uh, weapon, besides uh, uh, sexual brokenness and relationship brokenness, is shame. Uh, the shame is so overwhelming on this. The fastest way to overcome that 
is to find a guide who's already been there, who has compassion and knows how to express unconditional love, takes you by the hand and walks you down the path of wholeness and healing. That's precisely what we do. We've been there. We understand from a man's perspective or a woman's perspective. We, we don't leave anybody behind. We take you by the hand. We literally disciple you step by step, 24-7, 365. There are other people who have lived this and healed from it. Those are the people that I would recommend that you go to because they understand and there is absolutely no shame but unconditional love grace and mercy and this is precisely the fastest way to experience god's healing and you do this with a guy who's already been there and on the other side who understands who themselves has experienced the same exact thing so they know they've been there and they're on the other side and they'll help you more information again available on the web avenue.works that's avenue.works or you can call um, securely and privately at 877-326-7000, 877-326-7000, or online, avenue.works. Our thanks to Clay Allen, founder and president of Avenue, for being with us on this segment of Lifeline. 602, let's get you caught up on some traffic right now as we swing back over to the KFAX Traffic Center. <laughs> 